Hi, welcome to Bread. We're an open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church. This summer, we're slowing down to talk from the heart. These talks aim at nourishing our faith in Jesus and helping us return to the simplicity of the gospel so that we can live freely and lightly into the purposes God has for us. We hope you enjoy these summer talks. Thanks, guys. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ben. Um, it's interesting to see where God has chosen to reside today. It's on this side. A lot of empty space on that side. Um, it's a strange, most churches have, everyone has their seat. But this church, for some reason, people love to just move around. It's because you guys don't really, I guess, notice this as much because usually when I'm up the front worship leading, you just, there's just a moving bald patch in the congregation. And today it's up there. Uh, sweet. Welcome to Bread Church. My name is Ben. Um, I serve on the leadership team here. I run the music team with Tavia, and I've been asked to speak today because Ed and Hannah are away, our pastors, and they were like, you can speak on whatever you want. <laughs> uh, last time I spoke on worship, uh, I accidentally gave the longest talk in Bread Church history. <laughs> In my defense, there were props. Uh, there was a bit of activity. Um, today, I'm hoping to give one of the shortest talks in church history. Uh, so we'll just see what happens. Um, today, I wanted to talk about um, one of my favorite subjects uh, when it comes to the church and finish on my favorite passage of scripture. Because I was thinking when, when Ed and Hannah said, you know, you can speak about whatever you want. I, sort of was thinking, you know, what's, for me, what's one of the most profound things that I've learned as a Christian um, that I've been taught? And uh, it kind of came back to this passage of Scripture that's my favorite. Um, so I'm going to tell you guys about it. I want to talk today about church being a new family for us. Um, I've titled my sermon, A New Family, subtitle, our summer of fun, friendship, and family. Ed's going to hate that. Um, I feel like church is a lot of things. I, feel, I also feel like at Bread, a lot of us have come from uh, pretty differing church backgrounds. I think um, there's a few people here that maybe didn't grow up in church at all, but there's a lot of people that I think have come from uh, a lot of different types of churches. And I think in 2022, the kind of perception that a lot of Christians have about church is a pretty scattered, shattered one. Um, I think a lot of us have sort of broken church experiences, dysfunctional church experiences. Um, we've talked about, you know, we talk about this church. Church can be like a hospital um, for people that are wounded and broken and sick, emotionally and physically. Church is like a school uh, church is a place that we can come together to kind of learn things, learn about God, grow in our understanding of Him. Church is a sanctuary. It's a place where we can be shielded from some of the stuff that's going on around. Um, and then today, what I want to focus on is this idea that church is a family, that God created the church to be like a new family for us, um, which I love. So I'm going to throw a couple of scriptures at you that 
talk about this. Romans 8, verse 14 to 16 says, and this is, Maggie, I hope you're writing this down. You're the only person in the room that's taking notes. So I, forgive me, guys. Um, Romans 8, verse 14 to 16. If you, want, if you want to do the reading, just find Maggie after the service. She'll hand it out. Um, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Yeah, it's not going up on the screen. Don't look to the screens, guys. Uh, Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 7, it says that we are adopted as his sons. Ephesians 2, verse 19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Just this theme of us being family, us being God's kids. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, I am writing to you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. That was 1 Timothy 3.15. You got it. 1 Timothy 5 verse 1 to 2 says, Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. The New Testament is filled with these scriptures that Describe us as brothers and sisters, as God's kids, as adopted sons and daughters, as this family unit, Um, which theologically is interesting because if you think about what the book of Genesis tells us, when God created the earth and populated it with Adam and Eve, what did he tell them in Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28? He said, go into all the earth, subdue it, be fruitful and multiply So God, in creating the earth and populating it with human beings, said, you guys are now going to be a little family unit. Love each other, subdue the earth, rule over it, and be fruitful and multiply. In the New Testament, as new creations, which uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 calls us, it tells us that we now rule and reign with Christ. So in a spiritual sense, he's created this spiritual kingdom, populated it with new people, and said to us, go out, take dominion over everything, in the sense that you guys are now in charge. And also, in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, what Jesus says to his disciples is, go into all the earth, make disciples of all men. It's the spiritual version of go into all the earth, be fruitful and multiply. So, if you think about it, what Jesus was doing was establishing a spiritual version of what God had done in the book of Genesis with human beings looking after the earth and now Jesus saying my new kingdom, this new earth you guys are now going to be fruitful, multiply does that make sense? Um, and practically I think it's it, to me it just speaks to the wisdom of God, to the simplicity of his plan that if you think about how much as human beings we're desperate for safety, security, and unconditional love, and those things that you're supposed to find in family, how much does it make sense that the solution for all of those needs would be a family? That what Jesus did, in addition to all the kind of miracles and signs and wonders and everything, when he left, what he ultimately did was create a family unit and said, hey, this is how you're supposed to live together. Um, And we need that security and that routine and that safety, especially as Christians. I think about this all the time, you know. Sometimes I think, certainly the way that I grew up, I grew up in church, my parents are pastors, and when I was a kid I used to go to all the kind of youth 
rallies and conferences and things. And I feel like in the 90s and 2000s, the kind of Christian life was marketed to us as this like romantic comedy. We're like, just like the Hollywood version of like you meet Jesus and you fall in love and then it's like you're happily ever after, like then great things happen. But they sort of never show the part after the credits roll. You know, where the couple are then like, ugh. You know, you spend a little bit more time with someone. Like, at the the beginning, you're like, this is incredible. Oh, my God, I've just met the most amazing person ever. Uh, And then after you've, like, stared at someone's face for long enough, you're sort of like, huh. I didn't know that you did that every time you ate food. Uh, You start to just kind of notice those little things. I feel like in the Christian walk, that happens to a lot of people. I think it's just human nature that you, you know, you're, you're brought in through this kind of radical conversion, and it's incredible, and the Holy Spirit does an amazing work transforming us and changing us, and then as Christians, real life starts to happen, and suddenly you kind of, you come back week after week, and then you're like, huh, that person's really annoying. Uh... I think family is the place where you bring all of those issues and in the consistency and simplicity of doing relationship with each other, you realize that actually life is about showing up again and again and again and it is about the routine and it's about growing together as human beings and that real love happens in a slow, considered way. Good family should be a place where we can figure out who we are place where we are loved and encouraged to grow into our best selves. Good family should be an environment of accountability and grace, where different personalities and instincts, different viewpoints from political parties are respected and celebrated, if we can celebrate some of those things in each other. Uh, Which is, you know, it's funny to list these things, thinking about kind of what good family should be, considering how Again, so many of us have come from church backgrounds that are just so different to all of those things. Um, I know in Australia there seems to be this thing in the 90s where it's like someone realized that if you put flashing lights and a smoke machine on, it'll grow your church. And they were like, oh my God, guys, did you know if we wear leather jackets, really tight jeans, Uh, and talk like a stand-up comedian. Um, And we filled our churches in this way, and, you know, there's a lot of church empires that have been built up, but I think that they've forgotten one of the core principles, which is that it is about being a family. Um, And inevitably, you lose some of those aspects of accountability, grace, celebrating each other's differences. Uh, And I know that there are a lot of people here that can attest to that experience of feeling essentially like you've come from a broken family. Literally come from a broken family. Some of us have grown up in situations that are not the ideal, and then some of us have come from church backgrounds that are also functioning like broken families, and it's not what God wanted for us. So, this leads us to my favorite passage in the Bible, Um, and it's in the writings of John, I've always loved John. I've always loved reading the book of John and the writings of John. Uh, There's conversations around, like, the authorship of this stuff 
I just tend to be like, I think John wrote it. So maybe Ed won't like that. Uh, things we know about the Apostle John. What I love whenever I read um, books of the Bible is kind of putting myself in the headspace of the person that wrote these books. And just thinking about, like, a lot of these guys would have been young. They would have just, they didn't have the kind of access to technology and knowledge that we have today. So they were just like these guys, like, in the thick of it, writing about their experiences. And when you put yourself in the psychology of some of these people, it really illuminates some of what you see in their writing. So if you think about the way that John is presented as an apostle in the Gospels, we know that he's closest to Jesus, that um, he had, like, a special intimate friendship with Jesus, that they, um, he's called the, the apostle that Jesus loved. We know that because of this, he's, we know that he saw all the miracles that Jesus did, all of the kind of signs and wonders, and he also would have just seen Jesus as a human being. He would have just, you know, all the bits that we don't read about in the Gospels when Jesus was like farting. And... Would Jesus have farted? He has to have farted. I assume he has to have farted. Uh... He would have seen all those bits. He would have seen, the, you know, bits of food falling out of Jesus' mouth when he was eating. He would have seen just the, the human side of Jesus as well as the kind of, oh my gosh, this guy is the son of God side. Uh, he was there at the transfiguration. Only he and Peter were there when Jesus was on top of the mountain. And then what would that have been like? Just like suddenly Jesus looks like he's set on fire. Uh, he had a front row seat to the drama that unfolded with Peter. Like, think about that. You know, if, if John was the apostle that Jesus loved, you could kind of say Peter in some ways was the apostle that loved Jesus. Peter was just Jesus' like most passionate fan. Peter's the guy that like cut the Roman centurion's ear off when they came to arrest Jesus. John would have just been watching all this. John would have been like, whoa, bro, take it easy. Um, he would have watched, you know, just the ups and downs of all the different relationships that Jesus had in his life. And then thinking about the personality of who this person is that we kind of can piece together based on the little ways that he's presented in the New Testament and in the Gospels. One of the things that I find most interesting about the Apostle John is that when he went to write what he wrote to the churches, he waited till the end of his life. Compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you think about it, they were literally on, I'm sorry to be one of those church speakers, they were literally on Instagram Live as they were doing it. Uh, it's like, for the older generation, they were updating their Facebook statuses. <laughs> they were doing it in the moment. They were like, oh my gosh, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did this, and then, oh, he's, he's going here, everyone like show up at this place. Like it's literally, they were writing it as it was happening. Whereas John was writing his memoirs. John waited till the end of his life. We know, um, we know that John, and even if John himself didn't write the Gospels, you know, the, the questions around authorship were that they were taken from his teachings. We know that John, who was the only apostle that went to the cross to see Jesus when he was crucified, John lived his life pastoring churches, living in community, waited till he was an old man and then was like, all right, if I'm going to say anything, this is what I'm going to say. Which just reads differently when you read that sort of thing. When you read somebody's, if you listen to songs that somebody has written as a 16-year-old, let me tell you, my 16-year-old songs 
are not good, <laughs> but they're certainly very different to the songs that I now write as a 37-year-old. And I think that there's something to that in the writings of John. When you read what he's saying, we're reading an old man saying, okay, here's what I know to be true. And so what's so interesting, and uh, you know, an example of this is like, think about the way that we're sort of presented with sin in a lot of the rest of the New Testament, where it's like, sin is a beast waiting to devour you, waiting to destroy you. If you sin, cut off one of your hands, all those things. Whereas John writes, when you sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's like, you're going to sin. When it happens, do this. Has the, he has the personality and wisdom of an old sage. Um, he wrote so much about love. And in, in his epistle, 1 John, here are a couple of the scriptures that he gives us about love. Maggie. 1 John 2 verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. 1 John 3 verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. 1 John 3, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, verse 16 to 17. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In 1 John 3, 23. This is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. For some reason, John was obsessed with this idea of teaching us about the love of God. His gospel was all about the person of Jesus, and then infused in that writing of his messages. He's the guy that wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I, I feel like God... John, having a front row seat to the ministry of Jesus and being able to sit and just spend time with him, not only saw the power of God manifest in Jesus, but he also saw the love of God manifest in Jesus. And I believe that he learned something about how powerful it is, not just to do the signs and wonders, but also to just love, to just be a person of love, to love people around you. Which brings us to my favorite scripture, which is, and we can put this up on the screen, 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12. This is my favorite passage in the Bible. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The thing about love that is so interesting is that you need another person to understand it. If you think about all the 
songs or the poems or the films or the art that has been made about love, you could sit a person in the room, in a room, you could play them every film, you could play them every song, you could make them read every Shakespearean sonnet, every bit of poetry, every piece of literature about love. And until you put another person in the room with them, they would never understand what love really was. They could understand concepts about it, they would understand how it's supposed to make you feel. But until you put a person in the room, and I've experienced this I, I, uh, as a songwriter when I first moved to LA years ago. I used to, I did about two years of writing pop songs with people. Um, I signed a publishing deal and they just threw me in. I don't know if, if anyone doesn't know this world, basically, um, the music industry preys on the hopes and dreams of people like myself who dream of being Bob Dylan and puts us in a room with 17-year-olds who want to be Selena Gomez and goes, you guys should make something together. And then I have to sit there going, honey, honey, what in the club? What if I didn't, you know. Um, and <laughs> let me tell you, the number of lyrics that I have written that I'm like, Please don't let anybody ever hear that. Um, what's so interesting is the superstars of that world are typically like 17, 18, 19 year olds. I've written songs with the most genius pop songwriters who you can play a beat and they just sit there and go, I just wanna hold you, I just wanna kiss your face, I or whatever. And it's this, you just instantly like, well, you're gonna make a million dollars, that's such a massive hit. But what I found time and time again, as I sat in the room with these 19, 20-year-old wonderkind, is that the lyrics, when you wrote them down as prose, you were like, this kid does not know anything about what they're singing about. These guys are writing these songs about love. None of these kids have like truly experienced the maddening, heartbreaking, heart-filling, experience of what it means to love somebody. I don't know why I started talking about pop music. <laughs> Just got distracted. Um, the truth of it is that love takes experience with people. That love is not just this idea that's handed down to us, but it's actually something we experience over time in relationship with other people. And here's what is so fascinating to me about what John has written in his gospel. The old man John, the sage, who experienced Jesus' love in a way that most of us, you know, could never, could never experience because we didn't walk with him. He says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Then he explains how God showed that love to us and he finishes with that incredible statement. No one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So it's like saying to that kid, your love song's great, but if you really want to know love, you need to go and spend time being in love with someone. John is saying to us, no one has seen God, but since God is love, if you love each other, his love is made complete in you. What he's telling us is, 
if we want to see God, we experience him in the way that we love each other. I was trying to think of like metaphors to explain. I had some pretty bad ones. It's kind of like Captain Planet. Maybe, not really, but this idea that God lives in the spaces between us. Just as love is experienced with other people, what John's telling us is God is love. So if you want to see the face of God, you experience it in relationship with each other. My brothers, no one has seen God, but if we love each other, his love is made complete in us. So think about the vehicle that Jesus has given us to endure the rest of our time on earth to experience his goodness. It includes this incredible mechanism for seeing the face of God. And it is simply in loving each other. Isn't that a beautiful, powerful principle? When our powers of love combine, (laughs) we will see the face of God. It's like we're parts of an equation. The sum of all of us in a room together experiences God's love because as we learn through the maddening exhaustion of relationship and time and the highs and lows and all of the things that we go through as a community, over time, his love is made complete in us and his love is who he is. No one has seen God, but if we love each other, his love is made complete us. I love this scripture because it makes me value so much the people that I have in my life and the church community that I have because I realize, God, it's not enough for me to sit in a room and just worship you and experience you and read the Bible. And of course, all of those things are also how we communicate and understand God and comprehend him. But the principle also is that God is love. And if we love each other, his love is made complete in us. We can't just do this Christian life on our own. Uh, it's also why I personally have never kind of lost hope in church. I think we live at a time when a lot of people are like in their Christian walk or, you know, deconstructing their, their lives to the point that they're like left in a pile of rubble and they're like, I think this is better for me. I'm, my personal belief is that I need you guys to fully experience the love of God and to see the face of God, that we need each other, that this family that we have around us is the place that God's goodness and his fullness can be manifest through the way that we love each other. That's why Jesus said, all the law and all the prophets can be summed up in two simple commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to see God, love each other. This is why I think also it's so important for us as Christians to value relationships and friendships just as much as we value ministry and all of those things, experiencing the Holy Spirit and experiencing the power of God. All of that stuff is so that it can facilitate the community and the family that we have. And I think sometimes we can forget that something like a field day is just as important as an alpha day away where we're all knocked over by the power of God. I feel that the argument could be made that's just as powerful as being knocked over by 
a tug-of-war competition. Because it's about facilitating the love so that we can see God and experience his fullness in this room. Being together is, is ministry. Just hanging out with each other, having lunch together, doing life together, taking time to get to know each other. All this stuff is just as important as all of the other stuff. Which is probably a good moment to invite anyone that wants to join the Bread Church Party Planning Committee. <laughs> we are always taking um, new recruits. I, I love this principle because it, it also just gives me hope. You know, if you think about where, where else in culture do we have the experience of so a complete cross-section of human beings, of age groups, where else are you going to walk into a room where you could sit next to somebody and feel an instant rapport and they could come from any part of town, any part of the socioeconomic spectrum, they could have any kind of racial background, any kind of ethnic background, any political background, uh, where else are you going to experience that? but in church, and have the instant shared affinity. It's a powerful thing. It's also important for us to foster that stuff. You know, we, I, I, my prayer as we grow as a church is that we see more and more diversity, not just skin tone diversity, but diversity of, in every possible sense of the word. We want older people, we want younger people, we want people from all different parts of the city, all different age brackets, all different pay brackets, because it's a powerful way for us to continue to build the family of God as it's supposed to be built, colliding with each other like that. I told you it was going to be the shortest sermon that we've ever given. But I feel like that's all we need to hear. Part of me wanted to just end the service. We're going to have some time of ministry and stuff. But I felt like giving you a little bit more time to go and have lunch, go and talk to somebody that you've never talked to today, and carry in yourselves this idea that no one has seen God but if we love each other, his love, God who is love, his love is made complete in us. Our prayer has to be that we have a, a community that is so filled with the love of God that we just see him every single time we gather together. Um, music team, if you guys want to get up. If you've come from a church background, I don't know what your experiences have been, church background or a family background that has been broken and that has struggled, then I want to give you an opportunity for God to just minister to that this morning. Um, and I also want to just invite the rest of us to commit to ourselves and to each other to make this place a place of love. To make, to commit that our church is gonna be a place where everybody from all backgrounds can come. Just as they are, we say that all the time, coming here on their own terms. From whatever background they've come from, with whatever baggage they carry, to be part of this family that God has pulled together. God, we just pray that your presence would be with us this morning. We thank you that your promises, that your kindness draws us to you. And we thank you that you have 
built a family out of all of us who have come from different backgrounds, different countries, different experiences. I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would show us the love that you have for us. so desperately to see you not just the manifestation of your power not just the experience of your spirit but also see the love that you've given us and that you've lavished upon us in the spaces that exist between us God teach us to love like you do for people that 